This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? Welcome to this Juice Podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. You're joined by Adam Spolin of Sports Radio 610. How you doing, man? I'm good. So let, let's skip the pleasantries. We're not going to bury leads on this podcast. We are doing this on the heels of a new report from Adrian Wojnarowski uh, stating that the Rockets will pursue Jimmy Butler in a sign-in trade. Once free agency approaches on Sunday, they're going to try to convince the Sixers to do a signing trade, and they're going to try to get a third team involved. And this would likely involve moving both Eric Gordon and Clint Capella. First, I want to get your initial reaction to hearing that. I mean, it's not a surprise. Uh, I think that we've all kind of known that the Rockets were going to go after Jimmy Butler one way or another uh, this offseason, whether it would just be as a free agent, whether they try and clear out cap space, maybe they try and get him to take the mid-level. We always knew that this was going to be the plan. And it now appears that we know exactly what direction they're going to go with it, where they want to try and get a sign, a sign and trade done with Philly. And there's a lot of moving parts that come with that. It's a very interesting bit of news. Yeah, and I want to give credit to the first person to report. I think it was Brian T. Smith, if I'm not correct. I think he was the first person to report that the Rockets had interest in signing Jimmy Butler this summer. And you're right, there is a lot of moving parts. It's going to be really, really complicated. It's going to involve some willingness from the Sixers and a resigned, hey, Butler's going to leave us. Like, Butler is going to leave us. Let's get something from for, for him. For our troubles, let's try to get someone like Eric Gordon, maybe some draft compensation, and let's try to move Clint Capella to a third team. Maybe we can get some more compensation back from them. It's going to take a lot of cooperation, but if the Rockets can make a solid case to Butler su- Sunday as free agency opens, I mean, that's that's as good a, a case as you can get because then you can convince Butler to go back to the Sixers and propose this. My only question is if if the Sixers are willing to play ball here, and they have a lot of free agents of, of their own here. They have Tobias Harris, who is, who is going to demand a max contract from the Sixers uh, himself, J.J. Redick, and they have uh, Jimmy Butler. So it, they have a lot of moving parts themselves this, this, this summer. But it's going to be interesting to see if they can make this case. And that's, I think that's a big reason. You mentioned all those free agents. I think that's a big reason why the Sixers would probably be smart to at least entertain this because while they have the free agents, they they really won't have any cap space, even if Butler does leave because of the contract that they gave him B, because of the uh, the salary that they're going to have to pay Ben Simmons at some point. And then you figure if they lose Butler, then they're probably going to have to re-sign Tobias Harris at the max. So with those three, you don't have a lot of room to work. Uh, I think a lot of people believe that J.J. Redick is probably going to leave there. Uh, so you can just slide Eric Gordon to that spot. Uh and like you said, they can do something. They could probably find a team to take Capella, but 
they can start to get back some of the assets that they have lost over the last year in making the trade for Harris, in making the trade for Butler. So it's an opportunity for them if Butler says to them, hey, I don't want to be here, I want to go to the Rockets. Yeah, it's an opportunity for them to get assets back. You're right. A lot of people do believe that they they possibly made one too many trades last year uh, in acquiring Tobias and Jimmy. And they had they had the forfeiture that Miami Heat draft pick, which which was looking really good. Um, I think it was a 2020 or 2021 draft pick, if I'm not mistaken. It was a really really good first round draft pick that they had to give up. So if they if they were to indeed move uh, Jimmy Butler, this kind of a trade makes sense. I mean, you get the assets back for Butler in in the form of of Eric Gordon and whatever you can get back for Clint Capella. Um, it's going to be hard to find a third team here because I'm looking at I'm looking at the at the teams that need centers right now, and you you pretty much see like the the team that sticks out at you right away is Boston, right? And I'm not sure if Philly's going to play ball with a team like Boston. That's a team within their own conference. That's a team that they presumably want to contend with. Um, that that's it's going to be a tough sell. It's going to be a really really tough sell if the Rockets can't find a Western Conference team to take on Capella. But if Boston can give them back an asset that helps them, you know, it's one of those deals where it, it could very well help both teams. So I, I think you get to look at it that way. Um, I, I don't know if Boston would be all that interested in Capella. Um, I think that they have a, a spot open at center, but I also think that teams might be looking and saying, you know what, you don't need a, you don't need a $20 million a year center. It, it just doesn't really necessarily make sense in today's NBA, and I think that you look and you see what Capella did in the playoffs, where he really struggled in that Warriors series, and I think that that might give some teams pause on whether or not it's worth it to have a center that takes up that much of your cap. I think that might be the biggest problem that the Rockets would run into in a trade scenario like this. Does a team think that it's worth paying Clint Capella as much as Clint Capella is going to be making the next four years? Yeah, and another big obstacle is the financialist, because as as we both know, like, the Sixers can offer much more money than the Rockets can because they can offer that fifth year, uh, and that deal could look like like five years, one ninety million dollars for the Sixers, and the Rockets can only offer f- four years, one hundred forty million dollars. Now, don't get me wrong; that's, that's a significant chunk of change, but that's also a significant chunk of change that Jimmy Butler would be leaving on the table if he were to choose the Rockets. Now, we don't know if the Sixers are willing to offer this fifth year or not. Uh, in this Woj report, it, sa- it says that the Sixers are, are planning to offer a four- or five-year max contract. And if they were to offer the fourth four-year max contract, that could be the difference. If it, if they're both offering the same money and, and Jimmy Butler really wants to make his way to Houston, that could be the tipping point to get this deal done. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. If they do a sign-and-trade, then the Sixers could sign into the five-year max and then trade him to the Rockets. Is that right? I, I don't think so. Either way, the money is still something to consider because if the Sixers were to offer him a four-year max contract and if the Rockets are going to offer him a, a four-year max contract, there's still like a $5 million difference. Now, the Rockets have no state tax to offer. Uh, I'm not sure about the tax situation in Philadelphia. Uh, do you know anything about that? Uh, Pennsylvania, I, I know they have a state income tax in Pennsylvania, so um, that's... I don't know if it's you know as bad as California, as bad as some other places, but I know that the tax situation isn't great up there. Right. So 
the financials is definitely something to keep in mind here. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting to, see, watch, to watch this situation develop. Um, now, you posed the question on Twitter whether or not you believe the Rock, that the Rockets are a better basketball team without Clint Capella and Eric Gordon versus with Jimmy Butler. Now, if you were to ask me that, I, I take the star. I take the star every day, all day, 365 days a week, a year. Like that, that, that's just me. Do you personally believe that the Rockets become significantly better if they make this trade? I don't know because I need to see what comes after it. Um, I, I think that we've seen it over the last, you know, couple of years. Clint Capella has been so key to what they do offensively and so key to what they do defensively, at least in the regular season, uh, and. and He's been very. He was good in the playoffs, except for the series against the Warriors. Uh, so I need to see how that they're able to replace those minutes. Uh, DeAndre Jordan's a name that's been floated out there. Uh, there are other centers that will be out there, and, and I think that you can get centers for the mid level, which is what that they're work, which is what they are working with right now. So I have to see what moves that they are able to make afterwards. But if they trade, if they make, if they do this deal, and they're able to find a. a you know, a, a legitimate center, somebody who can protect the rim, someone who can be a roller to the basket, that, then I think, yeah, they're, they are certainly a better basketball team. They're a more versatile basketball team. They're a better defensive basketball team. They're a more physical basketball team. So I, I think that that certainly makes them better. But you just have to see what they're able to do. Now, if they go out and make the seal and they miss out on the other centers that are out there, then that's a little bit of a problem. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely agree. Who they fill out the roster with is going to be something to keep an eye on. But but the Rockets have never been a team that's worried about that in pursuit of stars. They've always been the kind of team that's, you know, bring the star here, then we'll figure out the rest later. And I, I largely agree with that kind of philosophy. Um, th- and a lot of people have mentioned this so far. Like, as you mentioned, DeAndre Jordan's a free agent. Kevon Looney is a free agent. It's going to be a real question as to whether or not the Rockets can lure one of these centers. Now, we may be getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves, but we have to talk about this in regards to a possible deal. The, the real obstacle here is whether or not they can get Jimmy Butler to agree and then whether or not they can get the Sixers to agree. This is going to be really complicated. And if you were to ask me if whether or not they get this done right now, I'd say no. I, I, I don't think they'll get this done. Now, if they don't get this deal done, uh, filling out the roster, they're pretty much, after they spend that taxpayer ML lead, they're going to have only their minimum contracts to work with. And they're going to have their... Uh, they're going to have their bird right free agents, which would be Iman Shumpert and uh, Gerald Green. Uh, they have non, they have early bird rights for Gerald Green. Uh, they pretty much only have those tools to work with, and everybody else would have to hop on with a, a minimum contract. Now, the Rockets have been really successful over the years at filling out their roster during the season. They did that. They did some of that this year with Austin Rivers uh, and Kenneth Fareed. So. I'm not going to shortchange them. They're really good at this stuff, but it's going to be really interesting. The, the fact that they're even pursuing this uh, is is a huge story. But this is obviously what their number one goal is when the clock st- when the clock strikes five o'clock on uh, on Sunday. They, so they have a plan. This is their plan right now. Plan A is Jimmy Butler, and if that fails, then you have to figure out what's next after that. And I think that's going to be a really tough decision for them if this does fail, just because there's not a lot of options out there, like you said. And they still have, you mentioned the free agents that they have bird rights on. You didn't mention the guys that they don't have bird rights on, and that's Austin Rivers who, and also Daniel House. And I think that we saw last year how crucial both of those guys were to them. And I, I really think, especially when you look at Chris Paul, that they, they need to have Austin Rivers on the roster. It's just somebody who can back him up and at least take some of the pressure off of, off of CP. So there's a lot of moving parts that they have. There's a lot of tough decisions that they have to make. Uh, so 
you hope for them that they get some clarity on this Jimmy Butler thing early. You hope that this doesn't linger for a couple of days because you just don't have that much time. And I think you saw it last year. Free agency moved very, very quick. I mean, you had it, – it, it all started right at 11 o'clock on, on June 30th, and there were a ton of guys that were locked up right after that. So you just don't have a ton of time, and you have to make quick decisions in this. So I just wonder uh, what they're working at, uh, what they're looking at with just their backup plans. Yeah, I mean, t- teams have already started talking to players through black- back channels by now. Like, if you haven't started doing that, you're behind the eight ball. Like, that's just the way it is in the NBA. That's why so, so many deals get done at 12 p.m. Uh, at 12 a.m., I'm sorry. But, yeah, it, you're you're right. Like, the the Rockets don't have a lot to work with. And one big question that I'm sure Jimmy Butler and his representation are going to ask is, do the Rock- are the Rockets themselves, you know, pretty stable in-house, right? Like, we had this report from Tim McMahon earlier this week about how the Rockets have some growing tension within the organization. And then we then we had the subsequent report from Vince, Vincent Goodwill. Now, I know it feels like a month ago because this offseason is moving, like, at 200 miles per hour for the Rockets. Like, it feels like there's breaking news, like, every two or three days. But this, this only happened within the past week. These are real questions that the Rockets are going to have to address in these free agency meetings. And also, they have the lingering... Uh, Mike D'Antoni extension negotiations that they still have not resolved yet. Um, so it, 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 these are these are questions that they have to answer be, before they get in a room with Jimmy Butler. Let's let's go back to that report with Tim McMahon and Vincent Goodwill. So this report came out from Tim McMahon, and it it, it, it definitely raised some eyebrows, right? Like I don't think you and I noticed a lot of this tension that was growing within the organizations, but more specifically between James Harden and Chris Paul. Uh, before this report came out. And then the report came out from Vincent Goodwill that they had not talked in two months. And that's kind of when I was like, okay, like I'm going to have to pump the brakes a little bit because you and I were, were both in that in that Toyota Center for the past four months. Like We, we saw these guys talk constantly. We saw these guys joke constantly. That's, that's when I really started to question the veracity of that Vincent Goodwill report. And that's why I really wanted to take a step back but it does seem like over the past couple of weeks, I feel like we have enough reporting to indicate that there was some sort of argument, disagreement, scuffle, whatever you want to call it, between James Harden and Chris Paul after Game 6 in regards to play styles. No, I think that there's probably certainly something to that. I mean, they, they, they played a game that they were expected to win, they played against. They were at home against a team that was missing probably its best player, and they lost in a really tough way where they kind of fell apart in the fourth quarter. So it's no surprise to me that there was, you know, that there was some tension after that game, and I, I think that you could see it too, just with the way that everything went down post game. You just remember James Harden and Chris Paul almost always went to the podium together. I mean, you look. They played. Let's see. They played eleven playoff games. Uh, last season, my guess is that Chris Paul and James Harden were at the podium together nine times out of those 11 games. I, there, was, there was one game earlier in the postseason where they weren't together, and I don't remember which one it was. And then there was obviously game six. And game six, Mike D'Antoni did his press conference, and then Chris Paul did something that I've never seen before, and that was that he did his press conference right after D'Antoni, even before Steve Kerr. And he got out of there quick. Like He did not stick around at all. Um, Usually you'll see them you know, hang around a little bit. You saw James Harden hang around for a while 
after game six. I remember thinking I would miss his press conference because I was waiting on Eric Gordon. And it just so happened that he was in the back talking to people for a while after game six. And then he finally went to the podium. So I think that there is something there. Listen, like you said, we both saw James Harden and Chris Paul. And also, you can throw P.J. Tucker in there. They were talking all the time after games. They always came out together after games. I mean, that's not anything new. Um, so I, I don't know how much tension that there actually was, if there was any during the season. Uh, I imagine that there was some after game six, and now it's just a matter of can you put that, can you put all that behind you and move forward? And that's the question, like you said, they're going to have to answer. they got to answer that pretty quick. Yeah, and I had Craig Ackerman on on the podcast last week, and he t- he kind of spoke to the relationship between Chris and James just a little bit. Uh, and he t- came out this week and talked about how these guys sat next to each other on the plane, man. And Daryl and Chris were so quick to come out to the media and refute this. Like, Daryl, th- I think that the same day the reporting came out, just like a couple hours later, uh, came out to Zach Lowe, Jonathan Fagan. I think he even told Zach Lowe, tweeted, tw- tweeted twice. Like, this guy was not playing around. He was pissed. The, the amount of negative coverage that this team has caught since they got eliminated in the playoffs after game six, you could tell it's been getting to them. Uh, you can tell it's been getting to them. You could tell these the Rockets PR, these guys have been like nose to the ground for the past 72 hours. Like they, these guys have not had much sleep. Uh, they've had to they've had to uh, contact a bunch of people, uh, deny a lot of things, and it, it's just a, it's just a giant storm. I feel like from the Tim McMahon reporting, I do believe that something happened, and I do believe that there was some sort of tension or disagreement in in terms of their play styles. Now beyond that, I think. I have a hard time believing that there was that this tension was burbling throughout the season, which is what Vincent's good Vincent Goodwill is reporting would indicate, like th- that this tension was growing, that they couldn't stand each other. Now, I didn't get that sense at all throughout the past few months. No, I didn't either. And you know, I just remember being in that locker room uh, the last Dwight Howard year, and those two never spoke. I remember that that season they might have spoken one time after you know when we're in the locker room i think i might have seen them speak once uh that entire last season when dwight howard was with the rockets you could tell that there was something there between those two that those two didn't get along you never got that sort of sense with james paul or excuse me with uh, chris paul and james harden now listen they lost game six and their season ended in a pretty rough way so if you told me that there was something that happened after that i wouldn't be surprised in fact that i I would expect it but i never thought it was quite as bad as the way that it was reported uh you mentioned just kind of all the fires they've had to put out and listen they've looked like a complete circus really since the season ended and it starts with how they've handled stuff with the assistant coaches it and then it's countered by how they've handled the d'antoni extension talks where tilman Fertitta is is saying that they made mike one offer and the agent is saying that no he did not make that offer that's not what they offered at all uh and then they go to West Virginia and it's reported that they have a deal done with D'Antoni and then the agent says, no, we're not close to it. It's just, they have looked like a complete circus and then you add all the player stuff on top of it. It's been a really bad two months for them. You can't, and you can't try and spit it any other way. No, I agree. I agree. And the Mike D'Antoni stuff in particular is something that they have to resolve like as soon as they possibly can. Like if they believe Mike's the coach, you got to extend it. You got to extend it. You, you can't wait till next summer. Like, you can't let that burble. Like, I don't care how much Mike D'Antoni says it's not awkward. It's awkward. That, that, that's just weird. 
beginning of the last year of your deal with that that much uncertainty, like it's not comfortable for anybody. And Mike's a professional. I'm sure he'll coach his ass off, and he's not going to let that affect the way he does his job. But it, it's it's going to linger in the back of everyone's mind, like, like the the fi- the security, the long term uh, direction of the organization. That stuff needs to get resolved within the next few months, and preferably, like if the Rockets could get a deal. I doubt. Now listen, I doubt this happens. If the Rockets could get a deal done before Sunday, before free agency even opens, that's the best case scenario. Uh, the the second best. I mean, you got to get this done this summer. You if you believe Mike's the guy, you can't mess around here. You got to get you got to get in a room with with this agent Warren Laguerre. You got to you got to iron something out, and you got to get these new new assistant coaches hired because like, listen, you can't re you can't you can't unfire those guys that they let go. Like Roy Rogers isn't coming back, Jeff Bizdelic isn't coming back. Like all these guys, you can't just bring them back miraculously. You you have to bring in a new staff at this point, and you have to get this stu- this coaching stuff resolved. Because I'm sure even if Jimmy Butler doesn't care, other free agents and their representations are going to care who's coaching this team next year, and th- th- that's just something that they have to resolve. Well, it's just unnecessary distractions, and I can tell you right now, if Mike D'Antoni is a lame duck coach going into media day, all those you just get a lot of questions about being a lame duck, and that's going to take over media day. And every single player is going to have to answer a question about Mike D'Antoni being in the last year of his contract. Now, let's say that they're able to make some sort of a big deal involving Jimmy Butler, and now they've got to try and, and you know hit the reset button, and, and they're trying to figure out how to play with a bunch of new guys, and they get off to a slow start. Well, now you're going to have more questions about, is Mike D'Antoni going to be the coach much longer because they don't have anything invested in him after, the, after next season? So it's just it just leads to unnecessary questions. Mike has had a lot of success. I mean, they had won uh, three playoff series in the 19 years before Mike D'Antoni got here. They've won four in the three years since he's been the coach. Uh, he all they've done is win. They've been very good. They've been very successful. He's got a good relationship with the best player. That should matter for something. They need to just get it taken care of. And if it's a couple million dollars and whatever, I mean, just there's no luxury tax on coaching on coaching salary. So if there's no reason that it should be taking this long. I mean, they were eliminated on May 10th, and here we are June 25th, and there hasn't been a change in his situation other than it's just been really messy. Yeah, and you know, the Rockets have had to deal with a bunch of bad, bad PR, like we mentioned. You know, it's a quick way to resolve bad PR? Tr- acquiring Jimmy Butler and then re- extending Mike D'Antoni. Like, if you do those two things subsequently, or even just one of those two things, that curries a lot of favor, that 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 you know, that cures a lot of ill will towards the franchise. And, you know, extending a coach like Mike D'Antoni, it's it's just a nice thing to do. It, it gets you a lot of positive PR. It gets a, a lot of free agents on board. Like, they know the direction of the team. Players like playing for Mike. And it's just a really easy thing to resolve. Like I, like, I think out of all the things they can do this summer that's really quick and easy that they can solve right now if they really wanted to is by extending Mike D'Antoni. If they really believe it. Now, I, I suspect that they want to give themselves flexibility going into next next season at, you know, move, as to moving to, moving on to a new head coach. If that's the case, man, like you can't mess around here. You have to you, – you should have already let go of Mike D'Antoni if you weren't certain that he was the head coach of the team. Like I, I don't think lame duck season is a good option on any by any means. I think in a, if, you, if you thought he was the coach – Extend him. If you don't let him go, you should have started your coach your coaching search like a month ago. Well, and now they're pretty much locked into at least having him start the season as being a head coach. I mean, 
there's no way that they can. I mean, at least I wouldn't think there's any way that they can go out and and make a move at this point. So I think they're in a sense kind of boxed in. Sure. Um, yeah. Which isn't a bad thing. I mean, he's really good at this job. He's really good at it. He right. And he knows how to win with this with this group. So there really shouldn't be much of a question. And and again, it's over weird contract structure is why this is still happening. And um, I think you have Tillman trying to run a basketball team the way that he would run Landry's. And listen, that works at Landry's, but I, I don't know if, you know, there's not a lot of NBA coaches that want their contracts based on performance. They don't want a performance incentive. They want to know what they're going to make. Uh, can't necessarily, you know, structure an NBA head coaching, head coach's contract the way you would, you know, somebody who works in sales at Landry's. And it almost feels like what they're doing right now with Mike. Hey, did you see the story about uh, Tillman trying to acquire Caesars? Uh, you know what? I think I have heard about that in the past. Yeah, it was. It, I don't think it's a new story, but yeah, I, listen, he, he's he's out there. Yeah, the, the, this guy is like he is not afraid to make noise at all. Like, I'm I'm not sure if people know what Caesars is. Like, it, this, this used to be one of the biggest gaming companies in the entire world, like literally ten years ago. Uh, and uh, he's it went it went bankrupt in 2017, and I I, I read recently like a couple of days ago that the Tillman was trying to acquire it. That's just that's just bananas to me uh, that he's trying to acquire that much as like the, it must be worth like 10 billion dollars. Like he, even the debt assets alone, uh, and on top of that, you got to accrue all that debt that they acquired over the years. Um, yeah, yeah, the Tillman's out there. Tillman is out there. The, the he keeps us on our toes more than Leslie Alexander ever did in. Uh, whether you believe that's a good thing or a bad thing, he just keeps things interesting. Uh, I, I enjoy it because, you know, it's more stuff to write about. But a lot of fans, understandably, don't. Um, let's talk about if they don't acquire Jimmy Butler. Because that that seems to be the most realistic scenario. It uh, might, uh, you know, Daryl Morey came out at the awards uh, award show yesterday and talked about how the Rockets would like to keep their starting five going into next season and acquire someone strong for the mid-level exception. If the Rockets were to do that, are they indeed the favorites in the West next year with with Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant going down, as Daryl Morey seems to indicate? I think it's really hard to say still. I would lean yes, but I want to see what everybody else does because you don't know what the Lakers are going to do. You don't know what the Clippers are going to do. Uh, Denver has some room to maneuver uh, still at this point. Utah has some room to maneuver. Don't, don't count out Utah. Jazz are really good, and they went out and made a really just a really smart trade last week in getting Mike Conley. So I would lean, yeah, just because of what they've done the last couple of years, but that can all change very, very quickly. No, I agree. I agree. Um, personally, like... I would have them as slight favorites in the Western Conference uh, to to go on to the finals as of this moment. If they if they keep their core together, if they add a, a strong mid level free agent, now that's going to be key. They have to add someone strong, and I I think they would they would prefer to bring back Iman Shumpert because it seems like I mean like bringing back Iman Shumpert just seems kind of like a no brainer if you don't care about money. If, if Tillman 
seriously wants to say he does not care about money and, he, and he's giving Daryl the green light to go into the luxury tax. Uh, you give Iman Shepard whatever the hell he wants because you have his bird rights. Uh, whatever his contract you sign him to can become tradable if it, if if it's a good sum of money and that and that gives you flexibility to improve going into the future. Like that's one of the low key storylines for the Rockets going into the season. Like because that that Iman Shepard contract uh, negotiation is, is something to watch for because if they can get something worked out uh, in the beginning days of free agency or, or even before. They go into a room with Jimmy Butler. That that quickly becomes something they could flip again for a significant contract. Well, you just said the ability to flip the Mon Shumper would be huge, which is why I think it's really important. I think they need to sign him. I think that, that he needs to be brought back, but it needs to be on a one-year deal. So I think if you go to Shumper and say, hey, we'll give you one one year and $10 million, then that opens up some possibilities because then you don't have to try and talk a team into taking him taking on future money. And then give up, and then you have to not only are you trading Shumpert, but you're probably have to having to give up a first round pick in order to get a team to take on Shumpert, which is what they had to do with Brandon Knight last year, because they do have all their first round picks, they still have those available to them in a trade. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that the Shumpert thing is big. I think that I think they will probably get something done with him. Uh, you haven't heard anything about it just because you know there's just been you know other pressing things, but well, I think it's important for them to do something with him. I think it's also really important for them to figure out the whole situation with Rivers and with House. And you can't understate how valuable those two were to them last season. And if, if they lose them, that's a, those are big losses, especially with Rivers. I, you know, House, you don't know. House, it could have just been, you know, a two, three-month thing where he just played really well. And But with Rivers, you know what you're getting. And you know Rivers is a quality player. And now it's just a matter of can they bring him back? Could they possibly get him to take the minimum for a year? And and that way they're able to save their mid-level for maybe House or somebody else. Uh, that's I think that turned into a really big question for them, along with what happens with Shepard. Yeah, and quickly going back to Iman Shepard, I mean, uh, I think a one-year deal would be really, really smart and ideal and team-friendly. But even if you can't get that done, if you can, if you just have to offer him like a team option, like a two for twenty, and that second year is a team option, that's still really, really team-friendly, man. Like, and you can hold on to that asset and it rolls over into next year because you're not going to have cap space next season anyways. So you might as well have him on the books for next year, and he can be a trade asset next year too. So. And he can't help you because, and we saw him play well against the Warriors. So he, when he first got here, he was hurt and didn't have much of an impact. Didn't have much of an impact against Utah, but I thought he played really well against the Warriors. Yeah, he's a good player. Like, like I, I think people crap on Iman too much. Like, I think it was a tough situation that he was brought into. Like, coming into a team uh, at the trade deadline, you know, a lot of times like fans see so many positive acquisitions made at the trade deadline that when one is negative, they're just they just become so. Like headstrong on not bringing that player back. Like, I think if he come, if Iman were to come back, I suspect he would have a bigger role with the team, and I suspect it would be a positive role. I like this. This is a guy that's been to many NBA Finals. Uh, he knows how to play. He knows how to defend. Uh, he knows how to be a complimentary player. Uh, in Sacramento, he was excellent. Uh, so I think I think Iman could be a positive asset for the Rockets, and I suspect. Now we haven't heard anything yet, but I suspect that's going to be one of the first meetings they get done because you don't want him as an unrestricted free agent talking to other teams because that that removes your flex. You can't match obviously, and and that removes your flexibility to get another deal done. Um, and well, yeah, you can talk to him now. Yeah, he's 
he's still technically on their team, so they can talk to him now if they want. Yeah, and they probably have been, I, I, I would assume. But going back to Daniel House and Austin Rivers, like, I want to ask you this, because I was kind of hot and cold on, on Daniel House all season. I'm not really sure what his value is, and I'm still not sure I completely understand him as a player, if that makes sense. Because like, he was a starter for obviously a good bit of the season. And he was he was he played really well, shot the ball from three really well, defended pretty decently. I'm not sure with him being pulled from the rotation going into the playoffs, how much value he has as a restricted free agent, and if the Rockets were willing to match with, because again they don't have his bird rights. He's not a normal restricted free agent. Like he he is a restricted free agent without bird rights, so the Rockets can't match any offer they give to him. They can only use their taxpayer MLE. That's someone I'm not sure what kind of value other teams view Daniel House as. What about you? What kind of deal? What kind of money do you think he gets? You know, I think that he got hurt by just how poorly he played in that Warriors series, because that's what most people were watching. Um, and because, so it's just, it's very hard to say. And also because, again, you look, this is a guy who has bounced around the NBA for a long time, and he was on waivers. The Rockets put him on waivers in December, and nobody did. Um, and that's after he played well for a couple of weeks with them. So I don't know if he has a ton of value right now. Now he plays a, a position of need. You know, teams are always looking for three and D wings. Uh, he proved that he can at least play that at a at a pretty solid level for for a long amount of time. But I, I just don't know what the value is right now with him, just because of how poorly he played in that Warrior series where he basically became unplayable. Now, if you told me a team went out and gave him a small offer sheet that the Rockets couldn't match, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Now, let's say a team, let's say a team were to offer him, you know, a three, you know, a, a three-year, nine million dollar offer sheet, yeah, <laughs> something, something like that. I do you think I don't know if the Rockets would would match that and dip into their mid-level. I, I think that they probably just let him walk. I think so too. Like th- that's kind of what I suspect with. Daniel House, like they offered him a three-year minimum, uh, three-year minimum contract, and I, I thought House should have took that deal, man. Like I really do, because right now his value is so muddled, and he hasn't earned significant NBA money. That was significant NBA money, man. Like, sure, it's a minimum contract, but it's a long-term minimum contract. You don't know what's going to happen in the future, and I, I thought him and his re- representation should have took that deal. It was, it was guaranteed money. Like, again, um. We don't really know what his value on the free agent market is going to be, but if it's three years, nine million, obviously him and his agent won that bet. And I suspect, I I agree. I don't think the Rockets bring him back. The way Daryl is talking about this taxpayer MLE seems like they have someone in mind. They have a couple people in mind of significance, and I I'd imagine they value that person over what Daniel House brings to that team. Well, especially if they bring back Shumpert, and I think that you saw you know, in the Warriors series that. They were able to sit Shumpert, or excuse me, they were able to sit House because they had Shumpert. So if they're able to bring back Shumpert, it's just that one-year deal. Then that takes off some of the pressure that, that you have to bring back House. So I think the bigger question is Rivers because I think that he proved to be so valuable for them, and he was on the floor crunch time in that Warrior series. I feel like they need him, and that's the one guy. You know, I don't know if I feel like that's the one guy that they should probably dip into the mid-level to try and keep. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Um, and it go, going into the mid-level to re-sign Austin Rivers is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. 
I'm not sure what the what the Rockets intend to do with that taxpayer mid level exception. It's gonna be it's 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 one of their big question marks going into the season, and I suspect that they view going after a forward of some sort, like a wing type, like a Contavious Caldwell Pope type, as some as a priority as opposed to going after another guard type player. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Austin Rivers again, as as you said. Played really well for them. He was a part of their crunch time unit against the Warriors. Um, strong defender, uh, smart player, uh, and fits really well into their system. Willing to play off the ball, all that would be a nice guy to bring back. I suspect if the Rockets can't get a deal done at the minimum exception, I don't think they bring him back. I, I think it's better. I think his market is veterans minimum or nothing in terms of the Rockets. I think I think he probably outprices the Rockets on the open market. Probably. I just wonder because he talked about how much this is the happiest that he's been in his career. He really liked it here. Uh, but just for on the Rockets side of things, their goal now moving forward should be trying to conserve Chris Paul as much as possible. So I think it's really important for them to have that fourth point guard on the roster so that Chris, so that they can keep Chris Paul's minutes down as much as possible during the regular season, because I mean they were they were having to play Chris Paul before he hurt his hamstring in December. He was playing I think 34, 35 minutes a game, which they can't do anymore. That 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 cannot happen anymore at this point. Uh, when they had Rivers and they and Paul came back, they were able to keep those minutes down to 32. I think that he needs to be at 30 and probably even less than that. I think they almost need to look at what Utah did with John Stockton. Uh, back at the end of his career when he was playing 28 minutes a game. That almost needs to be what needs to happen, but you can't do that if you don't have a good fourth guard that you trust. Last year, two years ago, Chris Paul's first year, they didn't have that. Last year they did, and I think it really benefited um, going down the stretch, and I think that Chris Paul played really well towards the end of the regular season, had his struggles in the playoffs, so he did play really well in game six against the Warriors. Uh, I think that, so I think that fourth point guard, especially with just how they run the offense here, I think that that's a a really big crucial position for them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, if they don't sign Austin Rivers, they're going to have to find some sort of guard to replace those minutes. Like I think I think those minutes are invaluable. And I think you know you're in a strong you're in a strong starting spot with Chris Paul, James Harden, Eric Gordon as your three primary guards. But getting a fourth guard is really helpful. And if that third, if that fourth guard is Austin Rivers, that'd be a huge plus. Um, now I'm glad you brought up Chris Paul. Let's let's on let's end on Chris Paul. So, in terms of his minutes restriction, I, it, was, it was interesting because I remember Mike D'Antoni actually said to us that he was going to keep Chris Paul on a minutes restriction when he came back, and he just completely threw that out the window after like three or four games. Uh, that minutes restriction just just like went down, straight down the toilet, uh, and he started playing 36, 37, 38 minutes a game again. Uh, it's going to be interesting how they monitor Chris Paul for the rest of the for the duration of that contract because. I'm not sure how you where you stand on him as a player. I still think he has at least one all-star caliber year left in him. Like I don't think I think a lot of people view him as strictly a bad contract and like someone that you have to dump, like a salary dump, and I'm just like I'm not sure. I I think a lot of what went wrong with Chris Paul last year was a little flukish. Like I don't think he suddenly became like a 34.8 three-point percent shooter. Like I think he's his first throughout his career, he's been a 37% career three-point shooter. I think he's I think he's much better than what he shot last year. Uh from the mid-range he had an off year. 
uh, going to the rim in terms of drives per game, he was right on to w- w- with what he had last the year before. So he was driving at the same rate that he was before. I think a lot of his shooting percentages were. I don't want to say I don't want to say flukish, but I want to say like way too low for what I expect from Chris Paul. Like I, I expect him to bounce back from that, and I expect him to still be that high lo- high level defender that he was last year. Like I think last year, I was making the case for him towards the end of the season. I, th- I thought last year, if he hadn't missed as much as many games as he had, he had a strong case to make second team all defense. Like that's how good and how positive an impact he had on Houston defense when he came back. Um, where do you stand on him as a, as a player right now and, and with this whole contract situation and how the Rockets view him going forward? He's overpaid. Uh, there's no question about that, but you kind of knew that was going to be the case. At the same time, there were stretches last year where he played where he was really, really good. And while he's, he's not explosive the way that he used to be, and, and I, I'm kind of with you on you know some of the shooting. You know, outside shooting can be a little fluky a lot of times. So I'm not going to read too much into the fact that he didn't shoot the ball as well last year as he has in the past. Uh, but you, you still saw flashes of what he could be. And he still does so many of the little things that, that uh, you know, whether it's deflections or seals or extra passive, uh, he's able, he makes the right decision still seemingly just about every single time down the floor. That sort of stuff is important. He's a good, you know, he actually, it's funny, he had more rebounds in a six-game series against the Warriors than Montrez Harrell did in his six-game series with the Warriors. So, so he does a, he, you know, he does a lot of things for you on the floor. Um, I think that that's why I think they weren't going to trade him because if you trade him, then you're taking a step back. I mean, you are absolutely taking a step back if you trade him just because you're not going to get equal value in a trade just because of the contract. So that's why I, I always thought that. Uh, well, the Rockets are looking to trade Chris Paul, so I, I didn't. I took that pretty much with a grain of salt, just because I don't think that there's a whole lot that you can do there. I think he's he has to be an important part of what they do going forward, just because he's going to be taking up 35, 40 percent of the cap. So they're invested; they're fully invested in him, and that's why I think it's really important for them to to try and prolong him for as long as they can. And whether that's giving him a, a steep decline in minutes, I think that that's where it all starts. And you know, I thought that D'Antoni did a better job uh, after the All-Star break of keeping the minutes down. You saw him um, sit Chris Paul for, you know, that middle portion of the fourth quarter when James Harden would sit to start the fourth quarter. He would bring Harden back, and then he would sit Paul and then bring Paul back for the end of games. Uh, I think that you'll start to see that again. I just think that he's got to be essentially topped out at 30 minutes this season. No, I agree. I agree. Like that's going to be something that they have to watch going forward. Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to get a lot of load management games, uh, simply because of the amount of playmaking on this roster is is pretty limited after after James Harden and Eric Gordon. But you definitely have to at least lower his minutes down to at the minimum. Like you can keep him at 32. Like I think 32 is reasonable. Like I I, I think Mike, some a coach like Mike D'Antoni is going to struggle to keep. Chris Paul below thirty minutes, but I mean, if thirty two is, I I feel like it's a good, it's 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 a good negotiation between both sides, uh, and I I think Chris Paul can still be really really effective for the Rockets going into this season, and I suspect I'm not again you you never know with this with these kind of things I suspect he's going to have a bounce back season of some sorts like I I don't think he's going to be 
I don't think he's going to play as poorly offensively as he did last season. I, I don't think he, he played poor last season, to be clear. But I, but I, I think I do think he had a down year with the shooting percentage, and I, I do think there's gonna, they're going to take a slight dip up. Let me let me just throw one thing in there real quick, just because I think it's important too. So he had the hamstring injury in December. When he came back from that, he was healthy the rest of the season. I mean, he took a couple of games off here and there just for the load management stuff, but he was healthy the remainder of the season, and I think that's going to help him because really he missed the first part of the offseason coming back from that hamstring injury. That car, you know, I don't know exactly how long it was. He never said anything about it. But, I mean, their season ended on Memorial Day last year. And that was, I think it was a great, I think, was it a grade two hamstring strain? Yeah, it was grade so two. That was probably going to, yeah, so that probably kept him from doing anything on the floor for a good month. Now he was able to get through this season healthy. And I think that matters just in terms of being able to work on your game, being able to get into shape heading into a season. I think that that's something to watch for. Order. I think you could see him really start the season off strong. I think 32 minutes should be the max that he plays in a game. And you hope that you have some fourth quarters where you don't need him and you're able to, by the end of the season, you look at that average and it's at 30. I think that's really crucial for him this season. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but I think it's definitely something the Rockets have to look into. I mean, we've seen the benefit of rest in the playoffs all too many times. You look at Kawhi Leonard this year. You look at some of the all-time greats uh, on the Spurs. I mean, th- they've had plenty of positive uh, returns from having rest days or even just lowered minutes. I I think it's definitely something the Rockets should look into with Chris Paul. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter and other things this summer? Uh, Adam Spillane, A-D-A-M-S-P-O-L-A-N-E. And uh, on Sunday, we are hosting a uh, an NBA free agency special on Sports Radio 610 starting right at 5 o'clock, so be sure to tune into that. Subscribe to the Rain Shoes podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Give us five stars if you, if you enjoyed the show. Follow me on Twitter at Salmon Lee NBA. And yeah, guys, good night.